Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes and I am joined today by Kirk Greenfield. Say hi, Kirk. Good morning, guys. And I think there's somebody, wait, where, where'd he go? Where is, wait a second. Tim, Timmy, are you down in the well? <laughs> no, I'm not in the well. Darn it, because I was going to tell you there's an alien down there. <laughs> no well. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey guys, Tim, you want to tell us what uh, what today's show is all about? Uh, our uh, our show today. Well, this is going to be kind of our Halloween show or a, a series of Halloween shows because it is October and, and kicking uh, off the Halloween month. We are, and I love Halloween, and I think it's a mm. it's a fan favorite of many. So we are going to cover some more burn stories that are more horror-tinged. So today it's going to be, we are covering a, a Dark Horse uh, book he, he did back in the 90s called Aliens, Earth Angel. And if you uh, know anything about aliens, this is all about xenomorphs. So... Yeah, I, I was very uh, very interested in this one because I, I don't recall that I'd ever read the book. I have it. I had, I had not, not. Yeah, I hadn't read it either. I I say I had it. And I didn't realize it was uh, it was released as a. Uh, well, before I get into that, we'll get into that. But right. had you read this, uh, Kurt, or was this new for you too? This is new, although I had heard the title before, and didn't understand the 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 context of the Earth Angel part. There are so many alien series or issues from dark comic dark horse comics. That it's real easy to get them confused. That's absolutely so true. It's the Earth Angel is is what really sets this one apart and it allowed me to find it so I could read it this morning. First time that I'd read it, and it's a pretty quick read. It is quick, and and there, there, yeah. I think there's a reason behind that. But uh, if you want, we'll kind of get into it. Uh, this was originally published as a 13 part story in previews, which is. Uh, which is Diamond Diamond Distributors Previews Magazine, uh, and I guess it was put out by. And I never, I used to have previews when I would I would go to my local store, and he would, you know, give us the previews, and we could go through and check what we wanted, and he would order stuff for us. But it's been years and years since I've, I've looked at a previews, 
and I didn't realize that they had serialized stuff like this, but uh, it was it was published in volume three, number one, through volume four, number one. So that would be and, about a year, I think, for this to come this, out. So is that nineteen? Is that ninety three and ninety four? It's ninety three. Yeah, January ninety three to January ninety four. Uh, okay. And then in August, and I've got two different dates, but around August, I've got August 23rd of 94, Dark Horse collected it all and put it as, that's what I've got, the single issue. Yeah. The, and he did a new wraparound cover for that. You know, that, and that was, uh, as I understand, one of his small sources of disappointment. He, Now, as he said, he was about 85% happy with this one. Uh, and that's a high for him. <laughs> and the missing percentage was, and this is from his website, the missing percentage was largely accounted for by Dark Horse neglecting to honor a promise. When I agreed to do this in episodic form, two pages per month, I asked that when it was inevitably collected into a single volume, I'd be allowed to add pages to make the breaks a little more seamless. So we would have gotten a, a director's cut, if you would, um, if uh, if they had let him do that i'm wondering and, and they just uh when time came though he was told it'd be too expensive even if he did it for free well they would have to pub- they would have to print it but well i mean uh, they're still printing I, I again they're just they're going to be adding pages of burn art that he's what going to not charge them for and well they still, have well, but uh, they have to yeah even if he inked it they're gonna have to pay matt webb to ink to color them and I don't know. It's, it's. I'm sure it has something to do with with. Uh, I can't imagine them being just why they would decide not to do it unless they thought it was the the cost of of the book would would not outweigh what what they're having to put into. Um, because all they basically have to do is pull the original, I guess, plates that they'd already produced, reprint them, and then bound it up and put his wraparound cover on it. So, he, should, he should have done. He should have done one page at a time in the, in the previews, and then left it uneven, and therefore they'd have <laughs> to, to add extra material. Him. Well, it's interesting that he said that he's 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 been a fan of the Alien franchise, but this is his only foray into. He's never done anything else like this, and you hear that a lot about Burns. Like, oh, I've always been a fan, and he'll do one thing. And it's yeah. like, why wouldn't you? Because uh, I wouldn't mind seeing. This, I think, would be a lot nicer if it was expanded, you know, add 10, 12 pages to it. Or if it was a, like a four-issue mini, that he could really he could really tell the story quicker. And he, I'm sure, and I think once you once I realized it was a 13-part, when you read the story, you can see that it does. Mm-hmm. It goes by quick, and he had to, I think, write it in a certain way that you have to... Uh, it's like you, like you were pointed out off-air, Brian, it, this is very similar to how, we're, how people are getting Elswins now. You're getting it you know, trickled out a little at a time. One one page at a time, yeah. yeah. And um, he's, you know, making that effort. And, he, and, you know, he's always said, he said he's always done this. But more so obvious in Elswin is having that end-of-page cliffhanger that makes you want to turn to the next page. Mm-hmm. And I think you were mentioning, you know, before we got on, that, you know, it seemed like every other page there was a cliffhanger to get you yeah. to go and want to see the, the next thing. Next one. And I, uh, you found a little more on this one I did because I couldn't find a lot in his site. Uh, did you? I wonder if he had written the. Was he writing it as he went? If this took a year, or did he kind of have the whole story in mind and then he was just waiting it, until that? That was the the bulk of what I found. The only other thing that I that I uh, did come across was Brian Miller. Um, 
you know, common. He remembered it being serialized in the previous book, you know, two pages at a time. And unfortunately, like many of us, you know, he missed more than a few months previews and only had a few of the chapters. And, you know, that's just, that was the hard thing about previews is because of the way it was done, you know, not everybody got to see these. And I, di- I wasn't even aware that it was going on. Again, 93 and 94, I'd finished college. I was living on my own. I was hungry. And I wasn't really buying that many comic books. I, I really wasn't hitting the, the comic book shop um, back then. And so I, I, I definitely missed all this. And, you know, probably when I, when I did acquire this later, I'm pretty sure I acquired this at a convention. I think that's where I found yeah. it. I found it like the, in the, the dollar ban or just on the table, didn't even know it existed and grabbed it. Yeah, now, because the the Bound volume came out with uh, around the same time that Babe and Next Men were being done. Um, that's true. It, it was his, the two other, well, I, I found three other books that he did the month this came out and one I have a question on. One was Babe 2 mm-hmm. and one was, uh, the X was X-Men number 27. No, Babe Issue Number Two, not Babe Two. Right, Babe Issue Number Two. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And so you were asking about what? Well, uh, on Mike's Mike's amazing list, ElfQuest graphic novel number nine, Rogue's Challenge, and I can find no information about what he had any involvement in this book. Well, I know that he was good friends. That he is good friends with uh, Wendy and Richard. Is it Peeny? Yeah, or or Deeny. I I, yeah, and. so I, I think that he probably would have at least done like a one-page uh, homage within there. Within That's what the I book. thought he but, might have done or but helped something. the fact like. that it's called Rogue's Challenge makes it sound like it's an entire story. And I so that's, yeah, and I, so I couldn't find anything on, on Mike's world or by googling it. So I don't know what if anybody if anybody has a clue or if you've got this book and know what Burns of Vomit is, let us know because I'm curious. Because he'll do some. Uh, this is off topic from this, but people post on our on our web our Facebook group, and they somebody posted a commission, and it was Power Man and Iron Fist, but they had asked him to draw it in the style of Don Martin from Mad Magazine, and it was pretty amazing. It was yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that's pretty amazing how well he did the he copied his style. You know the uh, the month that this came out was in 94 but the cover is is uh, drawn or or it's signed 1992 and if he's serializing this two pages at a time for a whole year you know is it fair to say that this was actually produced in 94 i don't think so i think he knew where the whole story was going it was all plotted out it was all parceled yeah. off before he ever began probably i mean it's such a quick story and everything, and and getting it, you know, into the two-page format. I think that he would have had to been very careful about plotting it out from the beginning. Yep. Because it does. It starts quick, and then it wraps itself up pretty fast. And you will see as we go through, um, we go through the, uh, I go through the synopsis I've got here. But uh, I've got a few notes. Um, if you, if anybody, and, and to Kirk's point, this was probably produced when Dark Horse was at its height of Alien books and i don't i read some of their very very early stuff when they first came out with alien and terminator stuff and predator mm-hmm. but i didn't follow i didn't read they were just a slew of them uh right 
because it was hit or miss. Yeah, and, and they they took incredible liberties with uh, with canon, if you want to call it that. And that was, of course, because when they first started this, all we had was Alien and Aliens. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the the third one or right. the fourth movie or anything else. Um, and so, you know, we got later stories of of Hicks and Newt. You know what what supposedly went on with them, and I mean, to me, it was interesting. And this was uh, what was the guy's name, Paul Verhayden. That was that was doing that work, and uh, he even got a shout out in the movie Aliens vs Predator. They named one of the characters after him. Mm. And it, another thing that was interesting that that uh, Bird had commented on more than once is that Alien vs Predator is 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 one of those that he actually enjoys a lot. If it comes on, he he finds himself watching it. Oh, the and film. And I gotta say, I the, the film. Uh, the, yeah, the first Alien vs okay. Predator, the one done by Paul Anderson. And you know, I mean, it, it's it's. The Alien vs. Predator series is kind of maligned by the, the, the you know fans of the original movies. But then again, pretty much everything after Aliens is maligned. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, Alien 3 was such a, a, a departure and a hodgepodge. Looking at it in, in hindsight, I kind of understand why they had to do the things that they did. You know, the, the actress Carrie Henn had aged out of Newt a long, long time. And this movie is supposed to take place basically right after, since you know Ripley and and Newt would have been in suspended animation. Mm-hmm. So they, they, unless they filmed the movies back to back, you know Carrie Hem wasn't going to be able to to do it. And she again was not a a, a real actress. She, she did this, but she really didn't do much afterwards. I think she's I think she's, she's a school teacher. She's a now. school teacher now. Yeah. Well, that was such a troubled production because yeah. the story kept changing. Uh, Fincher was you know he wasn't the the directory is now. I, I like Alien Three, uh, m- mostly because it really has a very a nihilistic ending, and that's why I think a lot of people reject <clears throat> reject it. Because spoilers, if you haven't seen Alien Three, you know we we we've grown to care for uh, Ripley over two two films, and she's been shown to be such a strong character. And then he one he and, and same with Hicks and the little girl. You know she, mm-hmm. you know she, she survives the second film, and then she's immediately killed off. And then same with Hicks, and then Sigourney Weaver has this kind of sad ending. That but but her ending that you know I don't know if she thinks she's ending the alien species or not, but you know she sacrifices herself to save the rest of the prisoners. So I think a lot of people object to that because like why would you take this great character and then you kill her off, then you keep finding ways to bring her back, but. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's possible that she wanted to be done with it. Yeah, that, yeah. That, I don't that. know. I don't know if that was if if uh, Sigourney Weaver was was kind of. But I think it may have something to do with the fact that it was kind of. That's the if you ever read the original treatment for that story, it was very 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 different than what made it to film. But yeah, the 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 Alien franchise, much like the Terminator franchise, it's it's hit or miss, and a lot of people will consider. You know the the same with Terminator. First two are great. Everything after that, it really drops off. Same with Aliens. You know, and then Prometheus oh, came along. When, once Cameron touches something, you know, it's just dang. Well, he had involvement with uh, Terminator Dark Fate in that movie. Uh, yeah, was not great. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that bell. <laughs> 
Um, okay, well, I've got a, a like I said, I got a few notes, and then we'll get into our synopsis. Um, if you're again, if you're following on with reading the Alien books, this was preceded by a book called Aliens Horror Show, and it was followed by Alien Stronghold. Now, I don't think any of these Alien books, as they came out from Dark Horse, there was any continuity between them. I think they were all kind of uh, one-shots or self-contained stories. I don't think there was a... Because uh, it was all different creators, I think, uh, from all the books. But this, I know this story is that we're fixing to cover here is collected in the, the Alien Omnibus they put out. And it's also, I like know. I said, it's a single, it's a single, single page or a single story. Tim, um, I hate to interrupt, but I yeah. did find out information on Rogue's Challenge, okay, the the, the Elf Quest book. Um, it was a uh, the the actual book that it came out in Rogue's Challenge was a, a series of stories. Uh, How shall I keep from singing? Parts one and two, the enemy face, and then Rogue's Challenge, and. Um, so they were all in there. Now, Byrne actually um, did the inks on Wendy Penny. Oh, okay. Uh, she did script and pencils. He did the inks. Cool. It'd be interesting to yep. see that because I've never read any of the any of the uh, ElfQuest stuff. I, I'm familiar with it or know of it, but I don't. I don't own anything. I've never read anything. So, uh, okay. Uh, <clears throat> well, thanks, Brian, for looking that up. Well, you know, the other thing that I do immediately when I think of something like that is I'll go to Google and I'll put in, you know, the keywords that I think that are relevant. And then I will go to the images. I'll click on the images tab in the Google search. And usually you'll be able to find pictures and images of, you know, of that. And um, I do find an image, but it's from Holiday Special that uh, Wendy Penny did draw and Byrne did ink. And so you can you can see that. Um, and uh, looks like Kirk got dropped from our call. Uh-oh. But he should be able to rejoin. All right. He'd been well, having technical difficulties. Do you want to go ahead and start up the synopsis while he tries to reconnect? Yeah, I'll do that because he, you know, I don't want, uh, I know he's got a short amount of time with us, so. Um, right. The last two notes I've got, uh, well, one of them I can reveal. Um, it said this is the a, a rarity of, of alien books that it takes place in the past. Most of them are in the future, uh, and obviously, Earth Angel is a reference to the popular uh, doo-wop song "Earth Angel" by the Penguins from '54, and that may be a way of just dating this. That's kind of what I did. I, I use that as this takes place around '54, '55. You know, I kept looking for Marty McFly. <laughs> Because you know, that song was popularized again by mm-hmm. Back to the by Future. Back to the Future, exactly. All right, so this is, uh, as we said, this is it was originally a 13-part story. Uh, it's 32 pages, which is what I found. Uh, when it came out as a single, it was $2.95. Our writer is John Byrne. Our artist is John Byrne. Our anchor is John Byrne. Our cover art is John Byrne. Our letterer is John Byrne. Our colorer is, Color. Matt, colorer is Matt Webb. And then I've got two notes for editors. I've seen Ronnie Noise, or that's how you pronounce his name, Noisy, Noise. Noise. And Lynn Adair. I've seen both those credited as being editor. Okay, now on the, the published volume, if you look inside the first page, it says it is Ronnie Noise. Okay. So I have to assume that the other guy is the assistant editor. Okay. 
Uh, and of course, it was originally put out by Dark Horse and Diamond Distributors and previews, and then Dark Horse put it out when it came out as a, as a standalone. And and also, there's a special thanks to Joshua Izo and Lauren Winarski at 20th Century, Century Fox, Fox licensing. The licensing, and that's that's an important piece because you know Byrne had such a a really nasty time with uh, Indiana Jones, and um, you know it, as a licensed piece that he really didn't like doing licensed work. So the fact that uh, he did this, there weren't any grumblings or anything. I think they pretty much left him alone. As it oh. does seem that they must have left them alone with with it when uh, Dark Horse was publishing, because it seems like the writers did take a lot a lot of liberties. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like they ca- would care from the alien books that I've read that they none of that was trying to, you know, how it was if it was going to monkey with continuity from the films. They didn't seem to care. They could kind of do whatever they wanted to. So, yeah, and um, it was it was wasn't it um, Dark Horse that actually inspired the bit in. Um, in Predator Two, where they actually had the alien's head on the wall, didn't didn't Dark Horse already have an alien Predator book? I think we'll see. Predator Two was eighty seven. Eighty seven, I think, was original. I think Predator Two was ninety one. No, no, um, no, no. Uh, it was the same year Die Hard Two came out, which I think was eighty nine. Eighty nine. Is that so? Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. It, it possibly could have been. I know they were the first to put together an alien Predator book uh, that. Then they kept trying to get that made into a film, and it just took forever. But um, I'm going to be doing some research here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, we're still waiting on Kurt, but I'm going to go ahead and get into uh, the synopsis. And like I said, I tried to break this down into 13 chapters the way I thought it broke down from reading the book because it was just you know it was just a continuous story. So this is Aliens Earth Angel, Act One. We cold open on two teen, two, eight, two teen sweethearts, circa 1954, climbing a hill to get a closer look at a crashed spaceship. Teen Matt Webb rushes into an open hatch as the ship continues to burn. He wants to see if anyone is still alive. The couples find the pilot alive, but he's not human. They struggle to get the alien from the crab before it's completely consumed by flames. The teens take a closer look at the pilot and comment that the alien has no eyes. The face seems to be... A, a series of eight legs and a snake-like tail. Act 2. We open on the local doctor's office where the teens have brought the injured space jockey. The nurse, Mrs. Miller, thinks it's a prank by the kids, but the doctor assures her it's real. He removes the parasite, what the couple thought was the alien's face. It appears to be dead. Uh, the doctor at that point calls Washington because he thinks he's over his head. Suddenly, the figure begins to spasm in pain as a creature erupts from his chest in a shower of blood and entrails. Act 3. We open on a roadhouse bar filled with rowdy, leather-clad bikers. One of the bikers, Mikey, or Mickey, uh, needs to relieve himself, and since, the, the, and since Big Tom and his old lady are busy in the can, he has to find the nearest tree. As, uh, as Mikey is doing his business, a fully-grown xenomorph emerges from the darkness and, and saves him from the trouble of having to zip up. Three more bikers venture into the woods looking for Mickey and suffer the same fate. Act 4. We return to our local doctor. He is, he is at home telling his wife and daughter, Alicia, to pack because he wants them to visit Grands for a few days. He wants them out of town. His wife is scared, but, his hus- but her husband doesn't want to tell her the whole story for fear of sending her into a panic. He rushes them into the family station wagon and they hit the road. The journey takes them down the same street as the roadhouse. 
The doctor is lighting a cigarette when their headlights suddenly illuminate the xenomorph blocking their path. Act 5. The wagon strikes the monster, causing it to crash through the windshield. The still red-hot lighter falls to the floor and the car's interior catches fire. The alien screeches in pain as the family flees the car. It opens its mouth to reveal its toothed tongue, ready to strike at the little girl. Act 6. Before the monster can attack the little girl, her father pulls her from the car as the fire fire consumes the monster. The family hurries from the burning vehicle as it explodes. The three tumble down a hill and land in a nest of strange leathery eggs, and several of the the bikers cocoon with the same strange eight-legged aliens on their faces. Act 7. The family suddenly sees headlights emerging from the darkness. They are then surrounded by several of the bikers as they circle the three... As they are circling the three, one of the cocoon bikers convulses and a parasite bursts from his chest. He attacks one of the other bikers as he circles. The small creature rips his throat out in a shower of blood. Act 8. The injured biker drives his Harley straight into a tree and it explodes, incinerating the small alien. The doctor realizes fire is the only thing that will stop the creatures. He starts to burn the other cocoon bikers when their leader tries to stop him. The doctor explains he's seen this creature before and they must be destroyed. The leader tells one of, the, uh, one of his men, Steve, to pull the facehugger off one of their guys. Steve rips one of the parasites off and it squirts blood on his coat. The blood, acts, the blood acting like acid and sets his cigarette lighter on fire. Act 9. The doctor rips the burning coat from the man and hurls it on the group of leathery eggs. The strange, container, the strange containers begin to hatch and several of the facehuggers spring from the eggs. The doctor grabs a gas can from one of the uh, motorcycles. He douses a group of eggs, and they start to burn. The parasites leap to their death within the inferno. Act 10. The blaze spreads, consuming the cocoon men as the facehuggers and chest bursts try to flee the flames. Act 11. The bikers jump on their bikes and run down the aliens in a rage to... to, uh, uh, get revenge. Get revenge. Sorry, thank you. <laughs> get revenge on their on their fellow bikers. Uh, some of the aliens manage uh, run down the aliens that manage to flee the fire. The creatures are crushed under the wheels. The fire continues to spread throughout the night. Act twelve. It's morning and the police arrive with the army. The police explain the fire was so big that they had to let it burn itself out. A soldier discovers the charred remains of the parasites and the and the the host's bodies. The colonel explains, tells his men to take samples and seal up the area. Act 13. Conclusion. The doctor and his family finally make it to his mother-in-law's house, uh, where they ask to use the phone. He calls for an ambulance as the grandmother tries to comfort her daughter and granddaughter. The wife asks her husband if the nightmare is over. He assures her it is. He, gives his, he then turns back to the phone. He gives address to the hospital and his name. He is Dr. Daniel Ripley. The end. Good summary. Thank you. Yeah. I stumbled. Yeah. A, that I improv a little bit. I couldn't think of the word revenge. So <laughs> thank you, Brian. <laughs> I really stumbled. That's there. all right. I, I do that to my wife all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> I finish a lot of her sentences. Um, so some of that was not necessarily every two pages because at some point it seemed like it wasn't. So I may put three pages in there, but I tried to break it down yeah. the way. Um, and it was... And it was very. You know, if you think about think about serials from the 30s and 40s that are like 10 minute shorts. I think that's how he wrote wrote it, so that you'd have little snippets of action. And then once it starts, man, it goes by quick. 
Yep. Yeah, it just it just zoomed. Now, I, I just went back uh, to to take a look, and you know they've got the establishing shot uh, outside the house of the doctor, and you can see it's on the mailbox. I mean, you really have to zoom in on it that it says Ripley. But oh, is that that one there? He's getting him packed up to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't breathe in. That's the only. And I will say, I liked. I liked this story, and I really wish he had had the chance to add his pages and kind of fill it in a little more. Uh, I don't like the part of, of the doctor being Ripley. I thought that was a little too on the nose. I mean, why didn't yeah. they? They could have just had one of the the guys when the government shows up. One of them could have been um, from uh, Wayun. Katani or something, you know, to kind of tie it in. But, you know, one, you know that that's almost like the Ripleys are destined to fight these aliens, you know. But yeah, that's my only that's my only really quibble with it. Other than that, I think the artwork's good. Uh, he seems to have a little more of a almost like a sketchy style with some of the with some of the uh, especially the when the aliens are burning, it almost doesn't look like burn. It's it's just a lot of. Uh, if you look uh, at even, even if yeah. even if you look at the cover, um, when you look at the one motorcyclist up at the top left, that looks like Miller Jansen, and you know from the front cover, the the front page, um, the expression on the, the guy's face looks like something Miller and Jansen would have done. Yeah, and that that scene where the the motorcyclists are all sitting there riding around it, um, the the one the one the one page where yeah where they're. Oh, let me see if I can find that one, the one I'm looking for. The the motorcycle, yeah, it's just the motorcyclists come in and, you know, you're, you're bathed in the headlights and then they're going around it. That top image is, you know, evokes a lot of very Miller-Jansen, you know, yeah. mid-80s. Yeah, and, I was thinking Miller because that's not the way Byrne treats, uh, like, light sources. Usually he's very clean about it. And this is, uh, maybe that's just because this is more of a horror book. He decided to... Uh, he decided to do it a little differently. Um, we should point out that the, and I looked it up. This comes after Alien Three. Alien Three was in '92, which yeah. I th- which was the first time we see a non-human uh, xenomorph because that one yeah. comes out of a dog, so it looks a little different. It acts a little different. This yeah. one, the alien, uh, he's pretty big. I, I'm surprised, surprised these two teenagers were able to because he's. He looks like he weighs about 400 pounds. He's big. He's muscular. He's got kind of a, a big bulbous uh, cranium and, a, and and these kind of bulbous eye ridges. So that's, the alien... That's that, that's that burn that burn alien where he always gives it mm. that curved curved bit and whatnot. Yeah. But I really... I did like this this alien. I mean, it's significantly different from a lot of the other ones he's done. Um, he, he reminds me a little bit of the... The, and I don't know the issue, but you know the fantastic story where they find the 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 ship that's been on like a generation ship that's been on. Yeah, it looks yeah. like it reminds me of those aliens. But that's uh, the um, the Wally ship. Mm-hmm. I think exactly. Now. <laughs> yeah, but the alien, of course, looks like a little bit like that. It's got the same kind of bulbous eyes, almost like an insect, um, mm-hmm. and it's more. And because, and I get, I didn't. For some reason, I didn't pick this up when I first read it. It's a queen alien because obviously she's got that same kind of big crowned, um, faceted yeah. head that the queen had mm-hmm. from alien t- uh, aliens. And of course, obviously, 
she or it has laid eggs. So right. it must be... Uh, what if the alien... This is never covered, at least not in anything I've read, but the aliens must be... If it's, if it's born and there are no other aliens, it must become a queen in order to produce eggs. And, and that was something that, yeah, I mean, if you go back to the, the extended cut of Alien, uh, you know, towards the end, Ripley does come across um, Dallas cocooned. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that, that he was supposed to be, you know, impregnated, apparently have been impregnated. Uh, and, and the other guy, Harry Dean Stanton's character, I don't remember his name. But... Um, Kane. Kane. No, yeah, no, that, Kane was uh, that was John Hurt. Okay, you're right. No, you're it right, was, right. Um, uh, yeah, I can't think of his name. Anyway, Harry Dean Stanton. <laughs> yeah, but you know that they were cocooned up and ready to, you know, ready to pop at that point, and there it looked like there was another egg there beside them, which uh, but Ripley went ahead and, and and torched it all. They took it out of the movie because it just ruined the pacing. Well, I thought they were. It wasn't so much that there were eggs next to him, but I thought they were kind of becoming eggs, almost like they were. Yeah, it, it did look like that. Something you know, it was like very that. Hard to, to, I mean, again, you know, this is before the. I mean, I, I think it was Total Cameron who did the whole queen and, and, and hive mentality. Right. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, I don't know if Dan O'Bannon was the idea that that the alien, the soldier alien, I guess, what could, um, and I'm sure there are people listening that. Um, I hope they're listening. Uh, if know more about this, the new uh, my knowledge of the aliens is from the movies because I don't read any of the books. But, uh, but you're right, and he I think Dallas is aware, and he says, "Kill me," to Ripley, and mm-hmm. I think they took that out because they thought it kind of slowed the pace down uh, from that last right. act. But same thing happens. They cut again; it's cut out. But in the second movie, when they uh, they run across Paul um, Riser uh, Riser. Ripley runs into him when she's looking for Newt, and he does the same thing. You know, he's been taking, taken, and he's been cocooned up. It's already, yeah, it's already inside. He's yeah. he's already got the alien inside him. Right. And she gives him a grenade. Is that it? Yeah, she's something like yeah. that. She lets him kill himself. There is. Right. You you can find the scene out on YouTube. I know the yeah. scene was there. I, I, I in the book. I know it's in the book. Yeah. Um, well, it's. I think it's like remember in Jurassic Park where uh, um, Sam Neill says. Hey, and because they use frog DNA, sometimes mm-hmm. frogs will change sexes if there's too many yep. of one sex or the other. I think that's similar here. This alien, you know, if it pops out, maybe it knows there's no aliens around, so it becomes uh, a queen. And that might have been uh, that might have been what happened in Aliens. You know, the the first face hugger might have become a queen, or maybe there's a couple of them. Right. I guess maybe right. the first one would have been anyway. But that's the beauty of it, you know, explaining this. But, yeah, I mean, you see on that one page where the biker's looking around with that uh, flashlight that almost becomes a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that, you know, he comes across that, and you can see the queen headmast and the very long legs that we saw on the queen um, in in Aliens. And I think and it, it yeah, makes more sense of it there. That, that, that didn't make sense to me because before I realized it was the – uh, an alien or a queen, I yeah. thought, well, it wouldn't be so kind of spindly and spider-like because the alien it came from was pretty, pretty bulky. buff, bulky. Yeah, yeah. But it would be, but it makes sense that she's got those kind of backward-facing legs the way uh, the, the queen did from Alien. So, um, 
The, and the other, my only other quibble would be that, and this seems to be a problem with most of the films after Alien 3, that the process between when it's birth and it's the baby xenomorph and when it grows up seems to be just a matter of hours or an hour. It grows it's, up. It, no, it, it is a matter of story need. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the thing. Cause you know, like with Kane in the first one, you know, the thing came off and then pro- it looks like it was about half an hour later at most they were, uh, you know, trying to eat. And as soon as he got the first bite down, he started convulsing. And then it popped out. Whereas, you know, uh, really we didn't get to see in Aliens. Um, I mean, we did see that one chest burster um, on the crowd, uh, on, on the woman that they found. And again, that was just perfectly timed mm-hmm. for, that, for that moment. In Alien 3, obviously, you know, that, that took as long as it did. And, and did we get a good sense of time of how long Alien 3 went? It, it seemed to be more than you know like a few days yeah i would say between when she landed you know possibly a week maybe three days three yeah. four days you know and and it was you know i will say that to me in the original alien that one the face huggers seem to be on him for several hours maybe a day and then mm-hmm. they take off and it's and it once it leaves him and then they look for it, they seem like they're looking for it for several hours and right. then he wakes up, and then it, and then it, I don't know what the time That's period right. is between when it it yeah. bursts from his chest, and they go look for it. You know, obviously Ash had to have time to build that little tracker. That seemed like that might have been eight hours. It just seemed. I know for story story points, your point. Yeah. That it seems like it gets faster and faster. I mean, think about well. In Alien 4, you know, the one guy was, was impregnated, and they dragged him around with them for a good while before yeah, it but... actually came out. And then in Alien vs. Predator, the one chestburster they showed uh, the, the on, on a character we saw was the security gal. And it basically, she wakes up, and boom, chestburster. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it just did that right away. But then again, she was thin as a vanilla wafer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, well, I understand it, it have to. I mean, they want to get the story going. They want the monster to come out, so it has to be. But it just seems to me that they've, they've and the audience. The audience already knows the sequence. The audience yeah. knows what to expect. So in the first movie, they could draw it out and throw you clues, or you know, yeah, just and it wasn't the, an anticipation. Yeah, and and the thing is here, you know, it's like if you look at it from one page to the next, the coloring it on it when they say he hasn't got any eyes is the coloring of the live face hugger. Whereas when you see it on the table, it already looks to be dead. Uh-huh. Right. And then he pulls it off. Right. But the, 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 the thing that got me just was that, you know, if you remember Kane's uh, chest burster moment, you know, he convulsed, he was in ridiculous, ridiculous pain before it popped. And it took several pops before it actually got out. Right. And here we are on a bigger, what looks to be a much more powerful alien being, and it just, you know, comes right out, and there doesn't seem to be any kind of convulsions. He just all of a sudden gets up in a panic, and boom. But again, you know, we're not seeing the, the actual events of everything. We're just seeing, you know, the things that we know. Right. Okay, it freaked out. It's in pain. Boom, this thing comes out. It looks pretty vicious. It looks pretty awesome when it when it comes out. It, it is. That's like, a nice. That's a nice bloody yeah. scene. 
yeah, old old skull kind of thing. Well, and this then, has got a. This is also has at least the first. You know, up to the chest burster part, this is uh, almost an homage to the blob. Think about it. You know, yeah. the original, the, the, the meteor crashes, they find it, they find the, it gets on the old man, they take him to the doctor, something bad happens. So, it's interesting that the, you don't see what, I would like to see what happened between, because this thing bursts out and I assume it just takes off, like in the, the film. So yeah. then you've got the doctor, her nurse, and you've got these other two teens that are like, what the heck just happened? Uh, and then he just, I don't, what happened to them? He just, he heads home to try to get his family out of town, because I guess he assumes that because he's smart. <laughs> yeah, he assumes. That this, you know, he's been fighting these aliens his whole life because he's a he's a Ripley, so he's got this ra- this racial memory that this thing is going to turn bad. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, I like to see kind of Burn do some more of this. Have you guys read the uh, the Walt Simonson movie adaptation of the first film? No, it's actually I, pretty I good. Go, I've, seen, I've it. seen it. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. It's um, yep. Um, it's pretty bloody too, but it's, uh, I was lucky enough to get him to sign it last time I was at New York Comic Con. But, um, yeah, the, the, I think the, the, his chant, to your point, when uh, the scene where he's the, the second guy, when they're looking for the first guy that went to, <clears throat> to go to the bathroom, and the guy with what you said looks like a, it does look kind of like a lightsaber, when he, when he, runs across it and it's kind of creeping around the tree and you see the eggs. I love the way he's played with, that's almost a black and white panel, the way he's played yeah, right. with uh, the light. And he does that throughout. Uh, his, you know, the foliage isn't quite, you know, the, the trees in the background quite look like burn. The, his tre- treatment of the alien is much more, I think Miller is, is a good example. It's much more kind of sketchy, yeah. uh, especially when he gets caught in the headlights. I love that scene. Um, I think the 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 car caught fire pretty quick once it the cigarette lighter yeah, hit the yeah, hit the was, hit the ground and suddenly it's engulfed in flames. Um, but then I I don't know if you guys remember, but cigarette lighters did not maintain their heat for that long. The mm-hmm. glowing element was going when you unplugged it, but within a matter of ten fifteen seconds, the thing would not be cold, but it would not ignite anything. So he's taking a little liberty yeah. with that. Well, most of them had a kind of a shroud around them, too, that would keep them from burning. Touching anything. Yeah, if I remember right. Yep. Yeah. That's I'm right. Trying to, I'm trying to figure out what this vehicle is he's driving because it's not it's not Chevy or you know any, any of the standard cars. It almost looks like a Grand Harvester, but I didn't know they had any of those in the 50s. I mean, it, it looks like an SUV. No. Well, is the, this story is set in the 1950s, right? Because yeah, of the yeah. bikers? Yeah. yeah. I've got a question on the page where he says, hey, we, he's telling his family, we got to get out of here, go get your things to uh, Allie, his daughter. In the bottom left corner, there's a shot of his wife. Is she pregnant? Yep. Yeah, she but looks... that never plays into the story. He's just a young doctor. Right, family growing up. I mean, it, it's again, you know, you, you kind of get the feeling that he wanted to do further stories, mm-hmm. and and you know, things just didn't didn't work out. Yeah, I wondered if maybe this was a setup for something developing, or there was going to be a parallel storyline to her giving birth and, and an alien giving birth down the road. I mean, hmm. 
Maybe it just made him more a little more protective. Yeah, it, it's you know an alien. What alien versus predator requiem? They have that whole scene where the alien impregnates a, a maternity that was, ward. That was just a ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was definitely the worst of the alien movies. And so, yeah, I mean, and, and what so was that? physically dark. Alien versus Predator Requiem. It was the sequel. I've not seen that. To Alien versus Predator. It's not very good. No, it's horrible. And they really it's try to horrible. tie it into, you know, they have, then that's where they have the, the, the Wayland Katani. Wayland Yutani. Katani. Wayland Yutani, yeah. Uh, coming in and uh, to try to really tie it all together about as much as the first one did. But, um, yeah, I, I thought the. Uh, um, and I, I'm, I'm wondering, it, of course, I'm sure you guys caught that the, the teenager's name is Matt Webb, or Matthew Webb. I'm sure that's a that's a nod to the colorist. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Ripley, I wonder if he's Daniel for Dan O'Bannon, who wrote the original Alien. And that makes sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't just make the mother look like, you know. Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> well, then he'd have to draw a likeness, you know. He would have to. Oh, he did it with Kitty Pride. It's true, especially the early, the early images of her. Yeah. And we do get when the scene that Kurt was talking about when there we get the uh, typical burned kid who looks more like a, a little person running up the stairs. Yeah. Right. Um. But you thought uh, Kitty Pride was modeled after Sigourney Weaver? Is that what Bert, you're saying? Bert. Berna said so. Okay. And you know, yeah, that uh, I mean, the name Kitty Pride is actually someone he knew when he was younger, and mm-hmm. he he got the the you know got her permission to use him uh, use her on a character one day. He said, "You've got a perfect comic book character name." So, um, and yeah, when he originally drew her, he drew her as a young Sigourney Weaver. And if you look at her in Day, Days of Future Past, you know it's definitely you know an obvious. She's definitely got. I think it's the, the hair more than anything else. It's that curly, curly but, dark hair. But now his his uh, his Kitty Pryde, Tom Palmer inking, you know, his Kitty Pride. <laughs> it's just you know the eyes and and the, the shape of the face looks a little different than than Sigourney Weaver looks like somebody. But I think he's trying to get away from it just a little bit. So yeah, you know the the page it. You're cutting out a little bit, Brian. Ocean yep. of the alien itself. Oh, that seems to happen whenever I talk. Really, I don't know why. <laughs> no, you're there. But when I'm saying there. yeah, but what, when the page you know, on the page where the alien hits the car, the and it goes through the windshield. The of the action is kind of it looks like it goes over the steering wheel. As it comes in, and that's a huge. You're dropping out again. Drop, yeah, you are cutting out again, Brian. All right, well, I'll let you guys talk. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right. I mean, that yeah, it seems like it does seem like it comes through the windshield over the co- the steering column, and it would be right in his lap, the doctor's lap. But it would, but it seems like they somehow managed to get out. Granted, the car is going to be bigger. Than then, but uh, and then it seems like it's going over the seat to try to get to the little girl, and you get that scene where it's it's opening its 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 jaw and it's about to I guess attack her, and then he he uh, 
And then the, the flames, to your point, Kurt, the flames just, man, this car just is like it was filled with gasoline or explodium. It just, it just, <laughs> it just is consumed in a matter of seconds. I mean, somebody needs to tell Ralph Nader because this car is unsafe. And, you know, when he gets right. the kid, he gets the kid out of it. Um, then it just, I mean, it erupts and, man, it's a fireball when it goes up. But I, I like all of the way, I just like his style that he's taking. And I don't know if that's a, it's almost like he's taking a looser hand to it. It's not quite as tight pencils as he normally does, but it, on purpose. It's not like he's he's taking shortcuts. Well, the 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 image on the bottom of the page in the car with the girl, and where you see the secondary you know teeth come out, mm-hmm. it looks like that's evocative of, of of imagery of something else. It's almost like it's from the um, uh, not Epic magazine. I'm thinking something more like Warren Creepy. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or something from there, you know, even something that Rudy Nerbys would have would have worked on. It's just a different type of imagery altogether. Um, a heavy metal, actually, is what heavy I'm metal. That's about. what I was thinking. Yeah. It looks a bit like the heavy R- metal, like the like film. Richard Corbin and coming and you know had had something to do with it, you know. But uh, yeah, and all the teeth and everything. It's just a beautiful, beautiful and grisly, disgusting shot, and yet. <laughs> Somehow this little girl is able to get away uh, with, with her dad's help. Well, the, it seems like the it's about to attack her, and the fire just is then uh, consumes, consumes it. it, and then she's kind of rec- recoiling from the fire end because it seems like it's hunched over, like the fire's already done right. in. And then he pulls so how how she kept from being burned, but he pulls her out because uh, one well, she's right up against the door. Yeah. So so based on this story. Alien blood is flammable? That's never been... I mean, fire is the only thing they've ever, other than just, you know, blasting it to pieces. Fire seems the only thing that uh, seems to take them out, which I always thought Mm -hmm. was that they seem to be pretty tough, because even if you're going to shoot them, you have to shoot them really This This one dies pretty easily. Well, and then this one does fire seems to... uh, seems to take them out pretty quick. I do love the length of the tail as it trails off out of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. It it actually reminds me of the Queen Alien from Alien vs. Predator when it was chasing um, the two at the very end. Mm-hmm. had that kind of dinosaur mm-hmm. uh, look to it. And uh, he's got the same curve, and, and this was done much you know long before that one. Yeah. Well, how do you guys feel about, I mean, again, this could, you know, whether this fits into continuity or not, we don't, we don't know. But is this a little... About how how do you feel about the aliens arriving before? Because obviously they not everything is destroyed. You know the spaceship. It seems to be the the kid that finds this down spaceship says when it's on fire says it seems like it was uh, designed to do that. Like it was a uh, it was designed to uh, destroy itself so no evidence would be left behind. I guess. Yeah. But obviously the the army has found the the dead face face huggers, and they have I guess what's left of the alien queen in the car and they have well I guess that's about it they've just got a bunch of charred charred remains so that they establish that the the these aliens are have been here or are are here mm-hmm. as opposed to them discovering them in the future you know from the first film you know of course Actually, that actually leads in because the first film, the Mother established that, that the government or the company, as they call it, knew of 
they sent them there on purpose because they wanted they either suspected about the alien or they had some reason. Um, so maybe the government's always known about them, and they were just uh, looking for their origin or something. I don't know. I mean, it. it, it well, you know, the <clears> thing <throat> is with the um, the signal coming from the derelict. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you're you know looking for signs of life out in the universe. The, the one thing you're going to know about any signal that comes out is that it may be similar in the fact that it is a, an electromagnetic wave of some type. I mean, that's what you're going to be seeing. You know, you're going to get a radio signal of some type. And then as you look at it, you're going to notice, you know, that there's intelligence behind it because it's going to have some sort of, you know, mathematical symmetry. But beyond that, every other aspect of it is probably going to be unusual. And so you're going to know an alien signal versus a signal from one of us. Mm-hmm. Right. And so by, by, you know, by process of elimination, you know, the company found the signal says, hey, this is alien. Whatever that is, we need to be the first ones there. And, and so that, that right there is just the whole motivation. And not that they knew exactly what was there. No, yeah, but, she, but 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 somebody said, makes a statement in that first movie. Mother's finally worked out that beacon. It's it doesn't a, look like it's a beacon. It's it was a, a warning. A warning. Warning. Yeah. yeah. So if they had already heard or figured that out, it's not likely that they would have sent them because they the mother only determines that after they're there on the planet. It's been working on the problem all this time. At but, least that's <clears> what I got from it. Right, you don't know if Mother knows uh, about the alien and she's hiding it, to kind of a uh, like Hal from two thousand one, because mm-hmm. it's just it's more that she just has access to the files that that Ash had that he's supposed mm-hmm. to you know capture the you know or, or maintain you know uh, get a, a sample or, or a specimen and the crew's expendable and she Ripley later says when when her when uh, Ash and uh, Parker. Or her and Lambert are trying to decide they're going to get away in the uh, the escape shuttle. She says they must have wanted it for their bioweapons division or something. So it's always been they you know it's always been oh the the company wants it for their because they're going to somehow turn it into a into a weapon. Um, so I mean that that's that's vague from the first film because you don't know if what if anybody knew about it or if it was just they detected the signal go investigate and find out what it is. Um, you know, of course, then Scott did Prometheus and Alien Covenant and muddied the waters even more. So, <laughs> but yeah, just uh. I, I don't, you know, I don't have a problem. I mean, this, it's not like it's not like uh, Enterprise and the Borg episode where they established that the Borg were on Earth long before uh, the Enterprise encountered them. This is, this seems more like this could have been just. Uh, an alien, uh, in effect, and maybe it's why he he put it in the fifties because that's the, the height of alien invasion films and stories. So, mm-hmm. interesting. Were you, you you just said that the Borg were on Earth before they the Enterprise encountered them? Were you meaning to say the Vulcans? No, no. There's a there's a, and it's again it's a spoiler, but the show's been off the air for forever. Uh, they established that uh, I think it's in Star Trek Enterprise, Inter- Star Trek Enterprise, Enterprise which is a prequel. 
uh, at season three or four, I think maybe four, they find a Borg ship frozen in the Arctic. And a couple of the Borgs come alive and cause problems. And then they, at the end, they say they were they were sending a, a signal. So that, I guess, is supposed to say that that was the original signal. Of course, that changes history, too, because the Borg weren't coming to Earth. Uh, Q sent the Enterprise to them, and that's what got our now, their Borg's attention to us. The, um, the ep- episode, The Neutral Zone of Next Generation, for the very last episode of uh, first season was uh, where the Romulans and the Federation are, are you know, investigating those outposts. Those outposts were attacked by the Borg. Right. That, that was Berm, the thing. Right. But that was before Q had brought the Borg, you know, brought the Enterprise before the Borg. Right. Right. It could have so, been. So, oh, so the thing is, is that what, what it meant was Q was actually helping them more than you knew. Because if Q had not introduced the Enterprise to the Borg, they would have had no clue whatsoever that they were coming. The Borg would have come in and just completely rolled over the Federation. Right. Right. So you know, looking at the story in, in, in that way, Q was uh, really – he's Helping like the us. Watcher the watcher showing mm-hmm. the, the Fantastic Four how to beat Galactus. You know? yeah. So that – I mean it, it's look, – looking at it like that, Q's actions make a lot more sense than, than they did because – you know, it killed people, but that had to happen. It, it, that's the Pearl Harbor. Right. Well, right. He was he was establishing that they weren't ready. He said, you think you're ready, you're not. Let me show you something you're not ready for. And he, you know, he right. interested in Borg. But, so that, I mean, that's I got, kind of like that. I got something else on the, the, uh, the second page, third page of this book. Uh, when she says, look, it's burning as if it was designed to leave no trace of itself if it crashed. Well, that's one interpretation, but I've got another one. I thought perhaps the pilot knew that he was infected and that he had set the self-destruct for the ship. And that's one of the reasons why he's so surprised and panicked when he wakes up and he's, you know, it's about to burst out of his chest. That's possible. I thought, yeah, he but I thought it was, I thought it was a common trope amongst most of the fifties and, uh, you know, movies where the alien ships come in, that they always blew up. They always explode. Right. Right. Well, that, there's that, never any trace left. Yeah. That could, that could no, be an that, uh, homage to the thing where they try to yeah. get it out with thermite, and it and whatever the metal is, it catches fire and disintegrates itself. No, it, it's funny in the whole book. The one moment that stretches my credibility more than anything else is actually the guy getting the girl to gut through and help him carry the alien out. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, the, the rest of it I can buy. You know, the alien coming in, it being a queen, all the stuff. You know, the, them being able to burn them up and everything. But this is the part that, that gets me to go, hmm. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, it's it the fact that either this alien is hollow boned and his armor is made out of super lightweight uh, material. I don't see how they could have. I mean, she doesn't look like she's. Yeah, because you said that he was four hundred four hundred pounds. Which yeah, I mean he's he's at least yeah, he's at least three hundred pounds, and yeah. I don't think she can. You know that's out of armor. So okay, so if you look at the second full page, and you see the alien, you know he's you know, pulling on the alien. Look at the lettering that's actually on. Does that look like Kryptonian lettering? Oh, it's on the back it's of his. It's on the back of his. It's on the uh, outside of the ship too. It is. Oh yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Is there? Is there and pulling out of the ship? There it is, right there. That's uh, like an, and it's the exa- Is that the exact same symbol? No. 
No. It's similar, but not quite. And it's on both sides. Right. And it's also on the exterior of the ship yeah, at the very first page. When yeah. he discovers it, there's a partial. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice big symbols. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, like that's your NCC-1701 right there. <laughs> right. Um, you know, cool when they ship. get this... You get they get this alien to the doctors or on the the gurney, and the face hugger's on it, and they take the face hugger off, and then the chest bursting scene occurs. Well, there's a jump from there. Next time we see Dan Ripley is he's convincing his family to get a few things. Let's get out of here. So you don't know what's happened in between there. What happened in, with regard to this chest hugger, but the the alien's armor. Or his and that body, as far as we know, are still in the doctor's office. There's no indication that the doctor's office burned or was destroyed, so there is evidence left behind. Well, yeah, I think the well, the yeah, the the government, I'm sure, is going to confiscate the alien body, the dead facehugger, his his uh, his armor. So that's a source of uh, maybe. You know, I'm surprised that he didn't, he didn't have somebody from. Uh, uh, like I said, Way- Wayland come in and say, "Oh, we're going to confiscate this this technology. We're going to, you know, kind of uh, Terminator style." But right, what yeah. what armor? We didn't see any armor. What alien? And maybe that might have right. been some of the pages that Byrne wanted to add to show that Could maybe be. the Doctor destroyed it, or he hid it, or he uh, did something with it so that they wouldn't discover it. Because you know, the government would be all over. Uh, but they'd be interviewing him, and they'd be interviewing, you know, the the bikers. You don't hear anything more about right. them. So um, yeah. that's why this would have been this would be nice if it was a if it was like a four issue or three issue. He yeah, really could have expanded on it. Yeah. Now another thing, you know, on the very first page, um, at the very bottom in the middle panel, you can see down at the bottom. It looks like a binary code one oh one oh one oh one. The very first page. Yeah, yeah. The very first page at the bottom. I mean, is that? I mean, is it like a counter? I don't know if that's a or display. Or maybe those are buttons. I don't know. I think that's just some. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just find it unusual. Of course, if you just do a a, a binary translate on that, oh, that's just I see it. Is, that's the letter U. <laughs> so, <laughs> and yeah, I did that by Google. I just went to Google Translate binary and put in that code. Yeah, what did I was you, able to find that out. What did you guys think about the cold open? Uh, to, oh, I uh, liked it. it yeah. got you into the action quickly. Yeah. Yes. And I think yeah. that's, that that if uh, because it's, I guess this is two. This was written as two page increments. It doesn't. He doesn't have. A, if he were able to flesh this out, he could have a little more suspense because he doesn't really have time for that. There's no. It's just like boom. Something happens. Boom. Something else happens. There's no time to kind of let it breathe a little bit and. Right, uh, which well, it's, it's possible that there would be a page that he would add that would be mm-hmm. like from the blob where right. they're out joyriding or something. And, yeah, or they're out there, yeah. you know, making out and they see this thing um, right. crash. Uh, uh, but it's very much like the blob. Exactly. I think, yeah. um, and maybe reading it as two page increments, you probably have a little better. Of, it may may work out better. Uh, instead of reading it as a single, because it does yeah. seem like it just it just zips by, and if you were reading it uh, once a month, it does give you a sense of of that suspense is in between issues. I guess what's happened, you know, what's going to happen. So 
Yeah, um, I'd made I made a few other notes. I thought that were that were kind of funny. Uh, the the page after they escape the car uh, and come across the eggs, the top panel of that uh, is another one of those examples where Burn Burns Argle Bargle looks like scrambled eggs because mm-hmm. he does it in black and yellow. I th- I'm trying to remember where we saw that before because I'd made that comment on something before. Where it's just like scrambled eggs, and then there was another page um, after the motorcycle gang. Yeah, the the motorcycle gang. The one guy's coat catches on fire because of the acid hitting his cigarette lighter. I don't know why that and, would cause that, but <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, but it, it's funny because, it, but if you look at that page, the the top panel, it looks like Clark Kent is helping Marlon Brando from on the waterfront, uh, drawn by Frank Miller. Yeah, if if you look at that panel, because that's what that evoked for me. Um, and then beyond that, uh, the imagery in the next page, uh, where you know they're catching the, uh, the he's catching putting gasoline and they're all catching fire and everything. Um, it's a three panel. It's probably my favorite page of the whole story, just by the way that, that you know. Of course, it didn't need any words. It didn't need any captions or anything. You're able to follow along just beautifully, and the page after that, as well, as you see, like the the chest burster coming out of the one body, and it's already squealing, and the 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 body is just uh, burning. I, I thought that, it, and you know, kudos to Matt Webb for uh, doing the colors on this in the way that he did. Um, and I don't know if Byrne had given him a color guide for the, the what I call the scrambled egg look. But, you know, on, on this, it works really, really well, especially within these pages here. Um, some of my my favorite art within the book on these pages. Well, the, I think the page before that, when the first face hugger is kind of jumping, when he first throws the, the jacket into the pile of eggs and you get one, the very spidery-like thing jumping yeah. out in the middle panel, that's just beautiful. And it's, it's if this was in black and white, the color kind of connects everything. The color it ties it together because the the, the greens. It's uh, this. I think this book would be beautiful in black and white. Uh, but Mark Webb does do a good job. He's using a lot of gradients and a lot of yellows uh, and reds to to show. And to that one page where you say where in the middle page the the bodies are burning and the chest bursters and it. <laughs> One of them looks really pathetic. It's kind of coming out and screeching. Yeah. Um, and then at the bottom, you see, it looks, I guess they're crawling out of the egg. Right. It's an egg in the bottom, and he's got almost a stipple effect, the way he's created that, the uh, the, the the egg itself. So that, and, it, and it's almost like, then it switches back to a little more traditional art, you know. So he's kind of yeah. jumping back and forth. He's doing, this is very, very successful, I think. Yeah. And, and again, you know, this is what mid '90s, so coloring was was really evolving uh, at this point, getting away from just the four color uh, standard. And so, what, with what he was able to do, he it wasn't overdone, it wasn't underdone, it was just right. Yeah. I mean, you can call this one um, uh, Mama Bear. <laughs> yeah. Well, didn't Listen, do- guys, I gotta oh. go. Um, it's it's getting late here. I have another commitment. So you I'm going to have to drop off. Thanks, Kirk. Yeah, yeah thanks, Kirk, for being on. on. Yeah, great. I think we've, we've kind of covered this, but I'll, yeah, thanks for, for showing up. Yep, and we'll call, talk with you next week. All right. Bye. Bye, Kirk. Bye. Um, I, I think we're kind of getting close to wrapping this up anyway. Uh, 
didn't Webb do all of his stuff at Dark Horse? Didn't he color his next men and Babe? I know he colored Babe, didn't he? You know, I, I don't know. I had not followed him, you know, in, in that way. So let me take a look here. I just and, remember um, when I, his name, but I thought he did most of his Dark Horse stuff. I have to go back and do this. It's going to take me a moment, so vamp. Oh, okay. <laughs> vamp, vamp, vamp. Uh, no, I think this is, I would recommend this to anybody who, if you're an Alien fan, it's it's a good story. I know uh, John couldn't join us today, and he said he wasn't particularly a fan of Alien, but I think you could read this as a Burn fan, or you can read it as an Alien fan. I think it's just a good uh a good. I mean, you can read this in literally about five minutes. It is a real quick read, um, which is just a yeah. shame that, that it makes you want more. It just makes you want to see the pages that he could have added and made about 48 pages or so of this and just filled in a few, you know, stuff between the panels because there's not a lot of dialogue. It's a lot of action. And you're um, right. Matt Webb does the coloring for all the Dark Horse stuff that I, I can thought, see. I thought I thought I'd seen his name on that, but um, the coloring's good. I mean, it's 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 he's not using a lot of gradients because I'm sure this is digital coloring, but he uses them when he can't. But there's not other than that. It's it's kind of flat coloring. There is some uh, mostly in the fire. Yeah, he's using that. But other than that, a lot of it's kind of flat coloring, which works pretty good. Well, on the very last page, when you see Ripley on the phone, look at his hair. Because it's like he's putting a little bit of shadow over to the right side. Right, yeah. And and, and just adding it. And, and that's just a – it's a very subtle change. And I thought that was good. And I didn't know if that – I mean, you know, Burns not going to be able to show that in the pen, in, in the, the mm. pencils. No, and that's something that, that – well, he's he's done it. He's doing it. He doesn't do it. you think he would do it some – well, he did, in the faces, but he's not doing it in any of the faces. But it, some of the shadowing is is done the way it could have been done before it was digitally. You know, you you see that kind of stuff where they could have painted on. Uh, he does a lot of flat when when Ripley's talking to the biker, saying, "Hey, we got to burn them." You know, that's that's a lot of just solid yellow figures. You know, yellow and oranges, uh, or in the background. So, uh, and the blood is very. Uh, the blood's very dense and very red. <laughs> yeah, I, I did have another question about the 1950s telephone. Um, if it was still like that, the box phone with the crank handle. Uh, I don't know. And here's well, that's a that's a point because when I first now they'd um, already introduced the Ma Bell indestructible uh, Mickey Mouse telephones. <laughs> um. So th- this is an older home, of course, because you got you know a uh, little overweight Ma Kent. Uh, <laughs> I mean, because that's what she looks like. She looks like Ma Kent with a few extra pounds packed on, or no, Mrs. Claus. Yeah, or like Mrs. Claus from <laughs> well, She-Hulk. Or she almost looked like an older version of uh, Wheezy from the She-Hulk. Yep, yep, yep. The and I, when I first wrote my synopsis, I thought this was just the closest house they came to. But yeah, same here. In another synopsis, when I read online, somebody says, "No, this is the grandmother's house. They finally made it to grandma's house." But they said grandma doesn't have a phone, so this can't be grandma's house. This has so got to be just—it's just a neighbor's house or somebody's yeah, when, house. When you, when you mentioned they got into grandma's house, I was like, "Did they?" This didn't seem. 
Well, like, I, I changed that because somebody else yeah. had said they made it to grandma. And I didn't realize that just early on he says, we can't even call her and let her know we're, sh- we're coming because she doesn't have a phone. So this is just a stranger's house that they, yep. they went to, and she's just trying to go. Okay, so. Um, but, uh, other than that, yeah, it's good. I mean, it's, it's, it's a... It's a, it's a and these are these kind of these odd little oddities from Byrne that he's you know you know he liked the Alien franchise and he's wondered and he said he jumped at the chance to do this and he, you know I, I wonder how much of it was hey I've never done like a two like a thirteen parter like a serialized something so that had to make him rethink about his storytelling well okay I can't do a I can't just do a standard story and then cut it up I'm gonna have to tell it a certain way so maybe he thought yeah. that is a challenge. Um, but uh, I like well, well, a couple of things that I really liked in here was the consistency of the doctor's clothing and the way he handled that. I, I know that that's something that Byrne always is, is critical of himself on, on regular clothing as opposed to the superhero costumes with the superhero costumes, everything's skin tight mm-hmm. and you know, you're, you're just looking at a naked body with coloring put on it. But whenever you, whenever you're looking at the doctor here, you know, he's wearing that, that kind of herringbone type jacket mm-hmm. and the, the baggy, the baggy type pants and burn is cognizant of it. in every panel he does with him, uh, and the way it's draped and the way that it's, it's flowing with the, the motion and everything. And yeah, I'm wondering, you know, what he had to do to be able to, did he just do that by sight? You know, did he just guesstimate it, or did he actually have someone model that that activity? I don't know. I don't know if anybody. I think he. I think he's good enough. He doesn't necessarily need to uh, have anybody model for him. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he. Maybe he. You, I mean, I think you could just look at maybe look at films from the fifties and kind of get a sense of of uh, he. You know, he, to your point, his fashion sense has always mm-hmm. been one of his strong points that he is always, he doesn't draw generic clothing. He draws stuff very specifically yeah. for, for that time period. Uh, I will say that I think, um, the, and he does a good job with the, the bikers too, you know, with them and their well, leather. And, but I wanted to make uh, a, a question to you about that. Are those black leather jackets and he's just giving them a purple highlight? Or is that just a really bad fashion choice by the motorcycle gang? I think they're black. I think it's... Because it's... you see the other woman at the end of the bar, and it looks more like she's wearing a black jacket with blue highlights. Yeah. I think and they're supposed to be le- black leather. I would think it doesn't make sense that they yeah. would be purple. I right. think that's just the, you know, the comic way of... Every, yeah. Right. You know, they would have, somebody's got black hair, they give them blue highlights. You know, that kind of thing. But the only thing I think is odd is that the one guy... Or the first guy that gets killed, on the back of his jacket it says Harley Davidson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he would have more of a club name. Of course, his isn't like a leather jacket. His looks like well, a, you. You got like one guy that's got the skull and crossbones. You got another guy uh-huh. that, and I can't read what it says here. Uh, it says Papa something, doesn't it? Say Papa. Mas- Mastin? No, I, I don't I'm know. not sure about that. Parasite. That could be parasite for all I can tell. <laughs> but it does look like they're drinking Schlitz. The um, the cases of beer. Does that look like Schlitz to you? Yep. Well, yeah. Or Schultz. <laughs> Schultz. <laughs> or um, well, the off brand. <laughs> whatever the what was the the beer from Laverne Shirley? 
Shots. Shot. Shot spear, Shots. yes. <laughs> Shot spear. Well, the guy that gets killed, too, he one, he looks like he's not wearing a leather jacket. Maybe it's maybe a, a like a jean or a cloth jacket. That's, yeah, it's probably a denim jacket. But he's got a... It uh, looks like a Confederate cap on. Yep. And the other guy's got uh, motorcycle Goggle. goggles. Goggles riding, on, yeah. Riding, riding goggles, yeah. Yeah. But he's got their pants rolled up, which is... That's, you know, that's period appropriate. So he's done a... I think he's done a good job of uh, portraying these guys. Yeah, and I'm just trying to see if there's any more, if I can read any of the backs of the jackets, but really he does a real good job of of hiding the backs to all the jackets. Mm -hmm. So you don't necessarily see what one of the other, what, what one of the other is. And right there, when basically he throws a gas can on the the fire, that's the last time we really see the the motorcycle gang, except for the one where the guy's already got rid of his coat and he's got the girl on the back of the motorcycle and they're riding over all the alien stuff. So they're basically ruining his tires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, and the 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 whole thing with the the and that's another thing the. The, when he rips the, the the face hugger off, the guy one it would you know when they try to do so that it would have killed the guy. It would yeah. kill the guy, but it seems like the legs rip pretty easily. He's just manually you know he's just ripping it off. That you think he'd have acid? He wouldn't have any fingers left. He would have <laughs> would have dissolved his fingers. But um, that the the acid blood and alien has always fluctuated in being. More, stronger when it needs to be and weaker when it doesn't. You know, it'll it'll yeah. burn through three levels of a ship just by dripping on something, but you can get sprayed in the face and it's just going to char your face. It's not going to completely melt your head off. So, it uh, yeah, his hand should have been hit by the acid coming yeah. out, and somehow it just only goes to the uh, to his jacket, which is yeah. uh, that that was really weird. But you know, again, burn had a, a and, and burn had plans for this guy because this is the guy that actually rides his motorcycle over the uh the remaining things yeah that's the the, the head guy i guess i don't know if that's supposed yeah. to be big tom that they they uh, mentioned later because he's got his not only is he running over him but his his girl is riding on the back while he's doing yeah. you know, he's going but um maybe that's I, you did was it kirk the point that brought up that maybe the alien blood was flammable and maybe that's what Burns trying to say here because the blood yeah. sets his sets his and that maybe that's lighter him trying up. lighter on fire. Maybe that's what he's trying to explain why fire is the one thing in the films uh, and I guess in the comics that will destroy him because it's um, it's their blood is is volatile. Not only is it is it acid, but it's also it's uh, flammable. So that's inter- yep. I didn't pick up on that until Kirk said that. That's interesting. Yeah, because I, I mean, you know, Ripley just does the flamethrowers on the, the the eggs, and you know, you don't hear, you don't see any more face huggers coming after her and Newt mm. at all. So well, and that's that what seems logical. Yeah, that's what Ash says in the first film. He says, you know, most animals retreat from fire, so they come up with those flame units. But, um, but you know, it's it's never been. It's not been a a main way of destroying them. I mean, of course. In the third film, it is covered in molten lead and still survives that. So, <laughs> well, that was that was last um, last gasp. Mm-hmm. Now, the the colonel at the very end, Colonel Murphy. 
that a RoboCop pull? Because I can't think of any other. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. There's nobody else. There's not a. There's not a. You think there'd be a, a reference to the something in the Alien franchise? But I don't. Could just be. There's nobody else involved in a book, like with the the character at the beginning, Matt Webb, or Daniel uh, Ripley. I don't know. Yeah, this Got is it. yeah. Still, I, I I I like this story just because it asks so many questions and it gets you curious and makes you want more. Hmm. I'm sad that he didn't do any more, but you know that's just the way it happens to go with Burn. I know, and I, I wish he yeah, I wish he had done more. Again, I wish this was have been. It'd been nice if they could have instead of just collecting it, he could have done a three issue or four issue run. And really, you know, given some, you know, maybe some backstory on the alien before it crashed or, you know, something. You know, just, it, it just really just makes you want more. And I thought it's a good, it's a good Halloween story. It's a good, uh, you know, it's not overly, it's not overly graphic. I mean, I think, uh, you know, this is not necessarily, I would you consider this, would you consider this like an adult read? You could show this yeah, to a I kid. Yeah, I don't it's, I mean, the fire, the, there's blood, there's gore. I mean, this is, you know, kind, yeah. kind of more of an, of an, of an adult type story. Um, yeah, you could show it to a, you know, I think you could show it to a 12 or 13 year old. I don't think. It would, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The language is no bad language in it at all. I mean, you, you wouldn't show it to anyone. You wouldn't show the first alien to. Yeah, that I agree there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And, and and that 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 right there, I think, kind of says it all. Yeah. Um, as far as that goes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think we've said everything. We yeah, can we've say said about this, this is like, it's short. I, I recommend it. Anybody said if you're if you're a Burn fan, find it. Uh, it's been collected in the omnibus. I think you can buy the this the one shot pretty cheap. Uh, you can you can buy it on Amazon as a digital copy. I think that's three or four dollars is pretty cheap that way too. So it's it's easily accessible. Um, Checking it right now. I think uh, so. If anybody is, you know, if anybody has uh, read the the other, you know, if anybody else is a Dark Horse fan of the other Alien books, let us know if this fits in with it. Do you know if you're a huge Alien fan? Do you not like this story? Does it not fit in with continuity? Does you don't like the way it's taken place in the past? What's uh, you know what what are your thoughts on this? Uh, let us know on. You know, let us know on Facebook, or you can uh, uh, drop us a line at gottogetburned at gmail.com. Wow, you can get it for uh, $1.99 digital, there either you go. Kindle or Comixology. There you go. Um, that's, that's cheap. And, but it's it's listed there as Aliens 24. I've seen that Yeah, I've seen that too, and I don't know why that's listed that way. It's, it's weird. Um, but there's apparently 50 alien books, and that's book 2450. Okay. So I'm sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's got all the, the really earliest stuff, even though the Mark Verhaden uh, work. And uh, golly, that's gorgeous. I remember picking up a prestige format alien book. Um, and it, it it had it had some early work by Simon Beasley, who uh, if y'all are familiar with him, he did some of the earliest Lobo work after Keith Giffen, hmm. uh, the like the Lobo uh, miniseries. And there was this one really cool story where 
you saw these big monstrous hulking aliens uh, doing a you know, survey of some leftover you know dead colony or whatever and one of them walks in and sees the, a room full of the eggs and he picks one of the eggs up and it opens up and the face hugger jumps out and he just opens up this huge maw of mouth with teeth and eats it <laughs> the face huggers that's coming and next thing you know you see like like is one of those next day transitions a market with a whole bunch of the eggs sitting there and all these alien, you know, these big bulky aliens there and even a little one sitting there pointing at one like, Ma, I want one. <laughs> Just uh, great stuff. Well, that's another thing they brought up that this is, you don't see, certainly in the films, you don't, you don't see a lot of other aliens. You've got the xenomorphs, you've got humans. And then in the mm-hmm. same with the books, you don't see a lot of, you, you do have, I think that's the, they refer to as the alien eating alien but uh we should point out that the aliens have crossed over into dc i don't think they've crossed into marvel but they've got there's superman versus aliens right and mm-hmm. there's batman versus aliens yeah i had a problem with superman versus aliens though and um i, I mean there's a story point in it. if i remember right steve rude did the art i could be wrong on that i don't remember who's but there there was one main story point in there that really kind of didn't make sense. Uh, if I remember right, number one, Superman got impregnated by an alien because he was under a red sun. I don't. But I don't remember and, that part. And spoiler, uh, towards the end of the story, he finally gets under the the light of a yellow sun and is therefore able to forcefully regurgitate the uh, uh, chest burster, which it would it would have also become super powered. <laughs> if it was, you know, basically forming from him, wouldn't it? I would think if it's, if it's taking his DNA, yeah, I think it would be yeah. a, a super a super alien. But somehow he was able to super regurgitate it out. <laughs> that's as as a that okay. sounds a now little... the the book that I was talking about uh, was an anthology story, uh, uh, Aliens Twenty Two Reapers Slash Cargo, um, and uh, that that was a. Uh, the the one that the one that I read and again it had serious series of tales in it mm. that uh, gives you some some pretty good stuff. I mean these aliens books, you know, it's just basically uh, all sorts of writers and artists coming in and uh, doing their own bit. So I mean I mean a lot of these were really good. Some of them were really bad, and you just kind of have to sift through it all and you know just accept with your own head canon what's. Right, yeah. I don't think there is, like I said, there's no. I don't think there's a lot of connection between any of the books. No. Um, but I think because everybody tried to come up with their own ideas of what the space jockey was, or you know what you know, other things were, how we would handle it on Earth, and you know, coming across the space jockey race. Well, until until uh, Prometheus, until Prometheus, and he established that they were engineers. They're not called space jockeys anymore. Uh, I think a, a, if Byrne did, if Byrne had done the Alien Superman book, I think that would have been a nice, that would have been a nice book because you know that's two things he cares about. So that would have been an interesting take on that. I don't think he would have had Superman regurgitating, super regurgitating up a, uh, a no, no, no. <laughs> if, if Byrne had done the Superman Alien story, here's what it would have been: uh, some kind of version of Argo City floating out in space, just a small chunk of Krypton with the, like, like, you know, a, a 10 or 15 Kryptonians in it, which in itself is not possible based on 
Burns Krypton history, but still. And they come across the aliens. They get they all get impregnated, and you know these super aliens come to Earth, <laughs> having Superman's power. So only Superman would have been able to take them on. Uh, it'd have to be like an alternate, you know, like an Elseworlds story right. because it wouldn't have ended well for the Earth. <laughs> well, or or it would have been either Lex Luthor or more like Brainiac finds them, and that's his goal is to somehow breed these things and release them. Uh, on Earth, but interesting. Yeah, you know, interesting. I, yeah, I, I just you know don't inter- understand anybody that thinks that they'd be able to control these things. That's the same with the, the same with uh, the Jurassic Park films when D'Onofrio thinks he's gonna use these raptors as weapons, or in the last film where they're selling these dinosaurs off to these shady other countries that are gonna weaponize like a weaponized. You can have a T Rex, but it's not going to do any good against modern war. You know, a T-Rex can't take out a tank. He's going to come, you know. Yeah. So Yeah, because, that, I mean, if you look at that that ridiculous 98 Godzilla movie, they basically took out Godzilla with missiles. Yeah. With sidewinders. Exactly. And, they're, they're, and that's much larger than uh, than any actual. It's And they're too expensive. You know, it's too expensive to breed, and you got to wait for it to grow up. I mean. You know, mm-hmm. oh, we, mm-hmm. we lost all our dinosaurs. We're going to have to wait five or six years so we'll get some more grown. But, but <laughs> well, uh, you, you remember the movie Predators, the one with, with Adrian Brody? Mm-hmm. And Topher Grace's character in that one, just that, that idea, like, I'm like you, me, thinking that they're not going to kill him anyway. And they yeah. did. You know I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Well, just, I think I think uh, I think the and this is way off tar- uh, t- topic, but I think the there was hints that the next Jurassic Park film, whatever it's going to be, was Dominion. it going to? Is it going to what? Dominion, I believe, is the name. That's called. Been pushed off. Oh, okay. Pushed off another year. Yeah. Uh, now there is Camp Crustaceous, which is on Netflix right now, I believe, on Netflix or Prime. Are you there? Yeah. Okay, that's right. I thought, I thought you went away, but um, it's uh, there's a series right now, and I we, we, we haven't watched it yet. I've been waiting to watch it with my son, um, but it's a uh, it takes place at the at the same time I think as the first Jurassic World movie, and it's a bunch of kids that are at the park that are you know in a special area, and what they have to deal with. But it's more of a kids show, um, animated, I believe. That uh, is is available right oh, now. Oh, I think I've seen it. Is it kind of a, uh, a Jurassic Space Camp? Okay, when you make it like that, you make me not want to watch it. <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, Leah Thompson and Kelly Preston were both in Space Camp, and they couldn't save it. You know, I've, I've never seen Space Camp. Is that the film you said you wish you'd get your money back on? I saw it for free, and I still felt like I got ripped off. But never, again, never. you know that was uh, that was at a time when when yeah, if I watched it, I mean, there was just the one plot device that got them into space is the thing that really just made you know, made me yeah because hmm. they had a uh, they had a, a a robot yeah and one, there was one kid there and I think it was Joaquin Phoenix that played him uh, a very young Joaquin Phoenix. Um, who, uh, you know, it's like he was getting bullied by the other ones. And, you know, it's like it was a, he just goes off by himself and he's sitting there crying. He goes, I wish I was in space. I wish I was in space. And the robot hears him. So the robot sets it up. So when they test in the shuttle, 
they actually take off. Hmm. Because the, 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 the kids that got a certain level of excellence in space camp got to be aboard the shuttle while they were doing the rocket test. Mm. I've got a, uh, I got a film for you if you haven't seen it. Oh, yeah? And I, I posted it on Facebook uh, a couple days ago. Moontrap. Have you seen uh, it? Did, did you, getting a little jumpy? <laughs> I, I actually I saw that when I was in college when they first started showing because they were it was one of those things that they showed like 50 times a day on the uh, the movie channels you know like like it was either Cinemax or HBO, or, HBO. Or, or one of them that, that had it I, and but but they had that little quote from Walter Koenig uh, on the the commercial for it oh and they played that every hour every time there was a break between movies that they would play that. And I'm pretty sure I have a videotape somewhere with that on it. But and I remember Bruce Campbell was also in it because Bruce Campbell's you know, like he he's he's almost a co-star. Koenig's yeah. obviously the star of the film. Yeah, and it was just one of those crazy you know movies like that. But it's not memorable to me beyond that. I mean, I remember the line just because of the commercial. It's, but I think I only watched the movie once. It's it's free on YouTube, so that's why I watched it. Um, oh. It's uh, it's Koenig's not bad in it. It's the first thing ever, and it was '89, so it was around. That was an action role too. I mean, yeah. that, you know, I Fan. think all the running around that he did in Star Trek IV. <laughs> he's not got bad. Him, it, got him this role. Yeah, he's he not bad it. in it. It's very low budget, and it's a very young Bruce Campbell. Yeah, uh, but it's it's very uh, well. You've seen the film, but it's 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 a horror sci-fi film. But it's it's it's. It's crazy. I mean, he, he's even get, he's even the romantic lead because he gets the girl in the end. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it's interesting just to see him have. I mean, you know, I'm happy that he had a that he had some kind of a starring role in something other than Star Trek. So so mm-hmm. if you're if you're if you're if anybody's listening, if you're interested in obscure Walter Koenig films, uh, go to YouTube. It's called Moontrap, and it's uh, it's pretty crazy. I had an interesting encounter with Walter Koenig. Actually, I had several encounters with him over the years. Um, uh, but um, there was one particular convention that uh, that we were at, and um, I think it was at the hotel at the airport, the, the Hilton, at the DFW airport. Mm-hmm. And after a bunch of stuff had gone on for one day, it was like a Saturday afternoon, uh, a bunch of my friends were down in the ice cream parlor they had there at that hotel. And uh, it's a huge, a huge uh, uh, room where, you know, where everybody goes and they're eating their ice cream and such. And I, I walk in and I'm just going from table to table to table because there's somebody at virtually every table that I knew that I was friends with from the Star Trek clubs and everything else that was going on at the time. And Walter Koenig comes in with with his handler, and he just stands there, and he watches me as I go from table to table to table. I'm talking with everybody, having a good time. And he stops me, and he says, I, I just want to know, all these people here, are they all your friends? <laughs> and I just kind of looked around the room, and I said, well, yeah, I, I know everybody in here. And then he goes, thank you. And then just walks off. <laughs> That's odd. I know. <laughs> but... I mean, again, I sit there and I think about it. You know, I was, I, I'm, I'm, you know, very talkative. I'm a social chameleon. Uh, just, you know, get along pretty much with anybody unless you know you're a real jerk. So, 
but back in those days, you know, there, the the clubs were uh, just proliferating, and this is mid '90s, I think yeah. it was. Um, the, the 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 clubs are proliferating, and uh, you know, I had a lot of friends that were involved in that, and so I was involved in that, and you know, just knew hundreds and hundreds of people based on all that, and so it would, you know, you, you make a lot of friends, and so I, I think he just saw that, and he just, you know. I don't know, marveled at it for some reason. Well, I just the, thought that was kind yeah, of cool. Yeah, I think Koenig's the only one. Koenig and Shell Nichols are the two I've never met. I think I've met everybody else. Uh, so maybe well, not. I, D- I, no, I never met D. Kelly. I uh, never met D. Kelly and I never met Nimoy. Um, I, I got to sit next to Scotty at a table. Well, I got to sit at the next table. Um at one thing, there, there, there was a Borders Books uh, thing that uh, one of the Star Trek clubs was uh, uh, helping out with, you know, doing security and such. And then as a result, we got to recruit. And so they had me sitting at the table where people were, you know, coming to find out about the Star Trek fan club. And it just happened to be right next to the table where um, James, James Dillon was sitting. Cool. And, and so he sits there and every now and then he'd turn to me and just give me a smile and a wink. But we never really talked. And then everybody walk up to me and they go, who are you? And I said, oh, I was a Klingon in Star Trek VI. And they believe me and want my autograph. But <laughs> then I would say, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm with the Starfleet organization if you want to sign up. Here's some paperwork. And you know. and so, uh, you know, just it was, that was kind of fun. But, you know, that, that was uh, a much younger me at a much more impressionable time. It's funny because I was never one of those guys that, um, you know, I never really wore the uniforms or uh, – or, or any of that. I, I wasn't comic book guy, mm-hmm. you know, comic book shop guy from the Simpsons. I wasn't ever like him though. I knew a few of those guys. Like but, everybody uh, knows those kind of guys. Yeah. But I was such a nerd back then. <laughs> well, uh, thank God you've grown out of that. Uh, yes, thank God. <laughs> well, you got anything else? Uh, I think we've done a yeah, pretty good job of covering enjoying it. Sh- shooting the crap with you. Cause yeah. it's, it's, you know, the thing is with, the all five of us on at any one time i think the ability for us to just kind of shoot the shoot the breeze is kind of gone by the wayside especially yeah. with you know some members being so concerned about how how long the show runs <laughs> and you know that's never been like a major concern with you or me so you know it, you know the some of the listeners i'm sure are missing that uh at least i hope they are um but that as it as it is, what's what's next on our uh, docket for? Uh, I think Halloween next month? Uh, next Halloween we are going to be covering uh, another issue of Blood of the Demon. Okay, so that's mine. That's yeah. yours. That's mine. Okay, good. Because uh, John John Hyatt, who's on assignment, and Dave Thompson, who are both on assignment uh, this week, uh, I think, and we've got a, a kind of a, a bigger show to wrap up Halloween after Blood of the Demon. We're going to do. Um, uh, the the barren blood issues from Captain America, so John's gonna handle those. You know, I think post Halloween, as our special election episode, I think that we probably should cover some next men. Well, and if you don't get I, that joke, if, yeah. if you don't get that joke, I don't know what to say. <laughs> we should because we haven't covered it. It's, you know, one, it's one of his more seminal books, and we haven't we haven't touched it. Um. But yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, I've read the entire series, and 
the early stuff is is very memorable for me. The later stuff, not so much. But you know, of course, when I'm talking about the election, of course, I'm thinking of um, what was his name, Satanus, or the the guy that was the president. Uh, oh, in in the books, in the yeah, next in the books. books. Oh gosh, yeah. I can't. I've I read those I the you're, first time. You're twenty twenty years removed from it, right? Probably. Yeah, and I'd never read his his. You know, when he came back to it and kind of picked up the same. Yeah. Uh, I read the first three or four of those, and then I kept collecting them, but I never I haven't finished reading them. So I never have really finished the whole uh, run on Next Men. So, yeah, I think it's something that bears going back and looking at again. You know, having learned as much about Burn as we have, um, I think that we'll look at these stories with a different uh, appreciation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm sitting there going, should I just go ahead and start it from the beginning? And then I realize. Uh, that I've got pro- every issue in my collection, but I really don't want to go and dig them out. So I'm going to have to buy digital. I think I've got some. You gave. I think I bought when when you were having a yard sale when we first started this show. I think I bought one of your trades that has the first five or six or or oh, yeah, twelve issues right. or something about that trade. But I think I've got some. I have to look and see if I've got them digitally because I, yeah, I'm at this point where I can't dig anything out because my stuff is just packed away. So if I if I can't get it digitally, I'm kind of I'm have to beg, borrow, or uh, appropriate from someplace. So it's too hard to dig stuff out. Hmm. Oh, cool. And I'm gonna I'm gonna have to now find the um, Elf Quest. Find uh, that one. Out- yeah. Yeah, well, there's 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 that, and then he did the cover to the holiday special for the ElfQuest so, holiday special. Yeah, ElfQuest holiday special oh, okay. nine and a half. It was like a fifteen-year anniversary. Oh, okay. But yeah, again, it's him inking Wendy. Uh, yeah, in that. So cool, cool. Now, as I understand it, and I could be wrong, isn't she like the original model for uh, Red Sonia? Wendy Peeney. Oh, I, you got me. I don't know anything about her oh, yeah. or ElfQuest. I don't know. Um, ElfQuest is just one of those books. It's like, as a comic oh, yeah. collector, you know it exists, but I don't know anything about it. Just do a um, do a Google search, Wendy Peeney, Red Sonia, and you will see tons of pictures of her in the outfit. There's even one with her with what looks to be Jamie Farr. Golly, who all is that? Is that Jerry Lewis? Um, and they got the pictures there. No, that's that's actually Mike Douglas and Phil Suling. Golly, and, and, and many of you probably have no clue who Mike Mike Douglas is. Not Michael Douglas, but Mike Douglas, who is a TV, the talk TV show, show host? host. Yeah, talk show host. Well, they would know him from Seinfeld because that's the uh, yeah, because that's a that's Kramer the, the Kramer stole from. the set from Mike Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, apparently she was on his show in the Red Sonja garb. Oh, yeah, holy cow, that's crazy. But uh, okay, well, hey, you learn something every day, and that ties to Burn too, because he also drew an issue of Marvel team up with Red Sonja. Yeah, that's interesting. And that was uh, the cooling depth. Uh, part of that Cool and Gant storyline that uh, Chris Claremont dragged across many different uh, uh, books, even even the X Men, which that was uh, actually a pretty decent storyline. All right, 
you got anything else? No, no, I think we've, uh, I think we've yeah, covered we it. Don't, we, we don't have any feedback. Uh, not, well, let me take a look here for just a second. There was, uh, wasn't there some Facebook feedback? Or was there? I don't See, I don't get told when there's feedback on your post, so I don't, uh... I mean, nothing that's anything other than just stuff we post that people have liked and things oh, like yeah, that. They, but... Yeah, they, they really loved it. That's yeah. um, That seemed to be the common the common bit on the, the Star Trek piece was that, yeah, they did love it, and that was pretty much pretty much it. Yeah. Though, uh, you know, we got someone that's joined the group lately, uh, Paolo, is it Lagas? Who's been posting some some st- stuff that I hadn't I'd seen once a long time ago, but hadn't really uh, gotten a good chance to appreciate it. And he was posting some of uh, Burns' uh, work on Middle Earth. He uh, drew the Fellowship of the Ring. I saw that. I saw that. It looked a little. And, um, that is some Hildebrand stuff. I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, it's really yeah, really really good stuff. Uh, so I, I really appreciate that. Really appreciate him uh, posting that stuff in there. It just shows it, that you can be a burn fan and you don't know everything. You know, there's it's like you can. There's lots of stuff that I I have no idea that he's done or haven't seen. So it's interesting when people dig this stuff up and and kind of share with everybody. Now we did get um, some more iTunes reviews. Now they were just uh, they they were they didn't write anything, but they did give us uh, one person gave us four stars and two people gave us five stars. Oh. Maybe so we appreciate the five star reviews, the four star review. What are you thinking? <laughs> well, you know, just, just kidding. I mean, tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Tell us what you want more of or less of. You know, just you know, let us know because you yeah. know we're 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 thirsty for feedback. We just we want to know what you guys think about all this. We have fun with it, and uh, you know, it's a good way to wild time, especially during you know during this time when there's not much you can do. No. Nope. Um, so just you know, let us know what you uh, what you think. Uh, email us at gottagetburned at gmail dot com, or like we said, go to Apple Podcast and give us a nice five star review, or and tell us what you think. Or go look us up, Third Degree Burn on Facebook. A lot, a lot of people reach out to us there. You can post mm-hmm. stuff. You can make comments. You can you know you can uh, you can it, give us an idea of something that you yourself would like to hear us talk about. Yeah, if there's a book that that you a favorite book or or, or a, a story arc you like that hasn't been covered, then you, you know, aren't discovered. Let us know. Nigel White, couple uh, a couple weeks ago, actually posted in there an image from Marvel: The Lost Generation, and that's something we haven't talked about at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't mind reading that. You know, the, the reading over that one again because that's one of those I think you can read the book in either order, forwards to back or backwards forwards. And and get the gist of the story because it is a uh, initially t- told as a backward story. You're starting at the end and you're working your way back. So like um, uh, his Superman Batman generations where the uh, they skip generations and such uh, or skip years and such. You can read those in different orders. This one you can do as well. So we may have to take a good long look at that one. Maybe at Christmas or some. I don't know because do yeah. we have a Christmas story that uh, is in the hopper? I don't think so. We could do, you know, I know you've been clamoring to do Generations, so we could do that for Christmas. Mm-hmm. But, but that's uh, that's all behind well, the scenes stuff. I yeah. think Generations probably going to be next summer's event. 
unless we have something else that's coming up that's really, really big. Because I think that there's so many people that have expressed interest in talking about generations. I know Scott Gardner and I believe Gene Hendricks uh, have talked about it. I think we could even get Michael Bailey in if we wanted. Again, that's if he has the free time because he's been really, really busy of late. Uh, he He's one of those prol- very prolific podcasters that puts... Always in demand. Yeah, yeah. But getting Gardner on would be nice because I know he wanted to be in our last Superman story and he couldn't do it. So uh, they'd be interested to get him on, or you know, and Gene Hendricks because Gene's never been on. I don't think he's been one of our review shows. I think, but um, yeah, that's that's stuff to kind of kind of work for. All right. Well, cool. All right. Well, I think that's everything we've got to say. Uh, We hope to see you here next week. And we hope that you really enjoyed our coverage of Alien Earth Angel by John Byrne. For Third Degree Burn, I'm Brian Hughes. I'm Tim Elliott. And you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great week. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.